Hey, hello, welcome back. Uh, today I'm doing Anti-Fragile, the revised uh, sort of reading of it, basically. I wanted to sharpen up the initial episode that I made, um, you know, what was it, a couple of months ago now, six months ago, whenever the podcast started. I just uh, can't miss this opportunity to plug my website and to plug my other podcasts. So, guys, if you're into Nesimtaleb and you're into the Inserto, then by proxy, I think you and I have very similar interests, okay? Obviously, this might be the main interest, but nonetheless, it sort of suggests a, a wider consideration of systems and perhaps a different worldview, a more curious worldview. So have a look at my website. I've published over 100 articles on there, and it's all an extension of my different interests. You know, there's the Sim Taleb, but there's also Carl Jung, but there's also mental models, but there's also geopolitics, but there's also uh, alternative energy, but there's also investing, and then there's also a bit of life stuff in there as well. So go onto the website, have a look. There's two other podcasts that I run. One is the Geopolitics and Power podcast. That's pretty self-explanatory. The second is called What About When? It's an interview podcast. Now, I've had on there the CEO of Vestergaard, one of the greatest components of conscious capitalism in the entire world. Almost a billion people sleep under their products every night. It is fucking wild what they're doing. So I've got an interview with him. I've got an interview with the internet's most popular Jungian analyst. I've got an interview with Tim Marshall, you know, the author of one of the most popular geopolitical books of all time, Prisoners of Geography. There's a lot of good interviews on there. And really the absolute hardest thing for this content creation game is just discovery. So I think you guys might be interested in it. Please look in the description of this podcast, subscribe to all these podcasts, subscribe to the newsletter. If you're keen, obviously, if you're not, then fucking don't worry about it. But if you're keen, please do me that favor and pump your good, good juice into this algorithm it's us versus the algorithm. All right, so here we go. This is uh, anti-fragile. Now, my favorite of uh, Nassim's ideas and also one that is very easy to understand. It's very intuitive to understand. Basically, it's just you gain from disorder. You know, Nietzsche famously wrote, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. He is essentially saying the exact same thing. M much like a lot of the ideas from the Inserto, they stem from almost ancient wisdom, which inherently suggests that perhaps they're also instinctual wisdom. We are built, our human bodies are anti-fragile, but we'll get more into that. But basically, it's just the idea that you gain from pain, that you should embrace disorder to then improve upon the infinite possibilities of future disorders that might come your way. Nassim concludes that the only way to deal with a black swan, which obviously is a, a whole nother topic, is to become anti-fragile. Because basically it's just this idea of you getting better and better and better, stronger and stronger and stronger, more resilient, more resilient and more resilient, where you sort of cast a wider net out into the world over things that now cannot break you. So there are still things outside of that net that can, but the more anti-fragile you become, and specifically along a certain line, or just generally, um, the more anti-fragile you become, the wider that net is cast, and the less things are going to be able to break you. So anti-fragility gains from disorder. It's the common thread between your bicep, Valhalla, and the ancient Greek Hydra, and we'll sort of get into what that means. But to understand anti-fragility and how it links so much of life, we have to first define it through the dual prism of fragileness, of, of being fragile and robust. Because 
people might ask, you know, what's the opposite of fragile? What's the opposite of robust? The answer is not anti-fragile. Anti-fragile stems from the two. But obviously we know something that is fragile, it breaks from disorder, right? So a piece of glass, you drop it on the floor, it's broken. It's quite fragile. Um, something that's robust, say a cricket ball, it's hard, it's leathery, it gets whacked around all day by a, by a wooden cricket bat, it's thrown hundreds of kilometers down at people, yet it is robust. It barely, barely breaks. In fact, a better a better example of robustness is concrete because even a cricket ball does uh, break over time and so does concrete, obviously, but something that's extremely robust is concrete, right? It's a it's this hard slab of material that gets rained on, it gets hot, the sun comes on it, cars drive over it, people jump over it. It's, it's robust to a lot of disorder. Now, the key between fragile and robust is just neither of these things improve upon the stress that comes into them. Something that's fragile breaks. Something that's robust doesn't break, but also doesn't improve. That's the key to anti-fragility because when disorder is leveled upon it, it improves. So take one of the easiest examples to understand from the human body of what anti-fragile is. It's your muscles, okay? So just think about your bicep. What happens when you go to the gym and say, just do a barbell curl. What are you doing? It's an isolated contraction of this muscle. And what you're actually doing is you're tearing the fibers of your muscle. You're hurting it. You're putting an isolated stress and a disorder onto that muscle. And in the short term, it's actually getting weaker because it's breaking. But then what happens? You go home, you eat, you rest, and then you come back. That muscle has now actually healed back stronger than it was before. So that muscle is anti-fragile because the disorder that you've put onto it and then the time in rest equals it coming back better than before. And that's obvious to anyone that, you know, works out. The more you work out, the stronger you get, the bigger you get. It is your body responding to the stress that you're putting onto it and becoming better so it can then take on more and more stress. The same idea can be extrapolated out into intellectual uh, fields of life, say certain ideas, certain career paths. The more disorder you take on that is measured, then the um, time away and the improvement from and the rest from, you come back better. You come back able to withstand more disorder than you could before. Now, a very, very, very important caveat to make here is that Enough disorder can break anything. So this is, I think, a crucial caveat that Nassim doesn't emphasize enough in the book. There is a threshold to anti-fragility. Enough disorder will break anything. So if I go to the gym and I've never lifted weights before and I go there and I try to heave a 100 kilogram bicep curl, you know, I'm, I'm likely to, to tear or severely strain the muscle. Right. If, if take it even take an even more ridiculous example. Right. I, I squat behind the back of a car and I try and lift it up by putting my hands under the bumper. You know, I'm gonna fucking tear my back. Basically, there that is too much disorder. That's just going to break the muscle. What you need to have, what you need to know, is what your threshold for disorder is, because what you're doing by becoming more anti-fragile is you're slowly moving that threshold of disorder further northwest along the sort of linear curve of improvement. Basically, the first time I go into the gym, my threshold for disorder might be 100 kilograms. I have to lift less than that because if I lift more than that, I'm going to break my arm. But if I lift less than that, it's the perfect amount of disorder that's going to hurt the arm that's then going to allow me to improve on it. 
But then after a year of going to the gym, my threshold disorder is now a lot higher. Now I can maybe even comfortably do a hundred kilogram bicep curl. I mean, I certainly can't, but maybe there's guys out there that can. But basically you have to think about your, you have to think about the threshold for disorder. It's an extremely important caveat to mention, which one that I think isn't spoken about enough when people talk about anti-fragility. Because as I'm sure maybe you've noticed or not, but anti-fragile can be a bit of a meme throwaway that people sort of just say to justify whatever their point was. Um, and with Nassim's rise in popularity, you see it used incorrectly more and more. Now, when it's used correctly, it's fantastic. But when it's used correctly, it has to be um, it has to go alongside this caveat that there is a threshold to antifragility. You can't just um, be of the opinion that any disorder is good for you and that you will improve on it. That is definitely not true. Disorder that is below the threshold of breaking is good for you and you will improve on. And that's the whole point of antifragility. You move that disorder up. That disorder that can break you, that's the black swan. You cast this net, this this net over the world that gets wider and wider and that is your that is your threshold to breaking, going further and further away, increasing your anti-fragility, increasing your own strength, whether it is intellectual, whether it is physical, you know, whether it's through relationships, money, like that's the great part about anti-fragility, which is why it's my favorite book. In my eyes, the best idea that you can actually apply into real life, um, that and also obviously noticing survivorship bias everywhere from in The Simpsons Soto. But I'm really rambling on here, so I'm going to try and make sure that I can uh, still do justice to some of the uh, fun anecdotes and sort of fun asides that comes from the book. But what I've just said now, that's anti-fragile. So look, you guys are smart. You already understand it. It's not difficult to wrap your head around. But let's just think about it in some other contexts. So anti-fragility is throughout the archetypes. And the sim only has admiration for the classics. And it's through their ideas that he measures many of his concepts. So... He wants us to think about anti-fragile through three examples. Damocles, who is the archetype of fragility. The phoenix, who is the archetype of robustness. And then the hydra, who is the archetype of anti-fragility. So let me go through them. Damocles, he's perfectly fragile. He lives in 45 BC Sicily, right? So he's here in the heart of the Roman Empire. He wished to trade places with the king, for he perceived only the luxury of being a ruler. Okay? And... He managed to do this, right? So he, he he traded place with the king, but when he was sitting in his seat, a proverbial sword swung above his head, which rendered him unable to enjoy the splendors of the luxury that he perceived the ruler had because he didn't realize that there was a lot more to being the king than just enjoying the booze and getting grapes fed to you. Um, and therefore, Damocles was perfectly fragile because his proverbial sword hung over his head. And the proverbial sword was the um, like the existential angst and risk and anxiety that goes along with being a leader back in uh, Roman times. So it's not the cleanest archetype for fragility, I'm not going to lie. Um, but Nassim, it's good for Nassim, so it's good for me. Now, here's the archetype for the phoenix. And this is perfectly robust okay so we all know what the phoenix is forks the phoenix harry potter chamber of secrets absolute best of the movies uh dumbledore's phoenix when it dies it is reborn from the ashes okay so it doesn't matter how the phoenix dies from the ashes he is always reborn so he cannot die right he's perfectly robust because he always is reborn from the ashes and he's always reborn the same no better and no worse. 
So he doesn't improve. He's not anti-fragile. It's not like every time he dies, he comes back a bit better. Or every time he dies, he comes back a bit weaker. No, he comes back exactly the same, making him perfectly robust. So think about the phoenix as the archetype for being perfectly robust. And then, of course, the perfectly uh, anti-fragile archetype is the Greek hydra, the ancient Greek hydra. And this is the purple animal from the... Um, um, from the animated Hercules um, Disney movie from back in the day. So when, so the, with the ancient Greek Hydra, when one head, it's a three-headed monster. When one head is chopped off, two replace it. Now that's anti-fragile. That's 100% anti-fragility. From one becomes two. From two becomes four. From four becomes eight. Basically, this... Um, this animal is perfectly anti-fragile. It improves from disorder, okay? But think about the caveat. Because Hercules did defeat the Hydra, did he not? If you chop off every head at once and, I don't know, rip out the heart, however it works, the Hydra will die. So it's not perfectly anti-fragile because it can die. However, it has an extremely high threshold to disorder because it can have its heads lopped off and then improve 100% from uh, that occurrence so that the the ancient greek hydra is the perfect archetype for anti-fragility and here's just a quote from the book from nasim fragility implies more to lose than to gain fragility equals more downside than upside it equals unfavorable symmetry anti-fragility on the other hand implies more to gain than to lose it equals more upside than downside anti-fragility equals favorable asymmetry and that takes us back to the concept of asymmetry and making asymmetrical bets which is also a fantastic takeaway from the inserto naturally now this is one that i uh that wasn't in the book but i love nonetheless and it's anti-fragility in norse mythology so here's a story from uh, norse mythology and it's the story of Balder, who is the son of odin now he was the most favorable and beautiful of all the gods uh he was even more popular than thought like Balder was the prodigal son and Odin, fearful for his son's beloved death, for his beloved son's death, made it in a very convoluted way, which is quite a funny aside, but I won't say it nonetheless, is, um, but Odin made it such that nothing in the cosmos could harm his favorite son, Balder. Okay, so um, once Odin had made this the case uh, for their entertainment, the gods would like play around with Balder because now Balder is invincible, right? Odin has made it such that nothing in the cosmos can harm him. So because they're Norsemen, you know, they're a little bit rambunctious, they would um, they would fuck around with Balder. They would hit him with swords, throw him off cliffs, burn him, uh, shoot arrows at him. Basically, he was perfectly invincible. Nothing in the in the cosmos could harm him. Or at least that's what they thought. It took Loki, the source of all disorder in uh, the Norse mythology, to prove just how fragile Balder truly was. So it turns out that when Odin went around um, the cosmos, making sure that nothing could harm him, he underestimated mistletoe, this perfectly harmless substance. And he didn't make it such that mistletoe couldn't harm him. So while the gods were playing around and trying to hurt Balder, Loki threw some mistletoe into the path of an arrow that was going towards Balder. And so Balder was struck with a mistletoe-tipped arrow, which killed him instantly. And here is the is a fantastic archetype for just how fragile 
Boulder truly was. Now, he might have thought that he was anti-fragile. He might have thought that he was perfectly... Well, in fact, he was never anti-fragile. He might have thought he was perfectly robust. Invincibility is, in fact, the perfect robustness. You know, Superman without kryptonite is the archetype for robustness, not anti-fragility, because he doesn't improve from the disorder that comes upon him. But Boulder dropped dead on the spot, proving the threshold for his robustness and exposing just how fragile Boulder truly was. Okay, anti-fragility gains from disorder. If Boulder had been left to the um, trials of life, right, as the prodigal son, who would have been more powerful, um, had more opportunities, all, all, all the great stuff, he might have then grown up to replicate his father Odin, right? Because he would have been exposed to the small stresses of life and become anti-fragile to much bigger things. And mistletoe in a million years would never have been able to kill him. But anti-fragility gains from disorder and Boulder didn't experience any disorder. Um, The same archetypical story can actually be said about the Buddha. If um, you guys know about the Buddha origin story, just think about that. Um, It mirrors what happened to Boulder quite a lot. Um, And then another aside on the Vikings, you know, what made the Vikings so fierce in battle? Right. In my estimation, it is a sense of anti-fragility because they were fighting for honor in the eyes of their gods. They were fighting for a seat in Valhalla. Viking warriors improved from disorder, so much so that, they have a, that they've left a legacy for being some of the most fierce warriors in history. The worse their odds, the more heroic they would perform. They gained from disorder. The notion of dying gloriously in battle made them more anti-fragile. So what's a... What's one of the most important takeaways from the book? It's just the idea of embracing randomness. Okay, so the book is intentionally unstructured. Nassim stumbled across the concept of anti-fragility, so rooted in many assumptions, and then tried digging it up wherever he could. The book, like much of the inserto, is multidisciplinary. Be- and he quotes, Beware of people who do not want to expand outside of their comfort zone, and the absence of challenge degrades the best of the best. All right, so these are two quotes of um, these are two quotes that highlight an example of not embracing randomness, not being shoved into the disorder of life, right? And so you can you can have yourself fooled into thinking that you're um, quite robust, maybe even a little bit anti fragile. But what are the stresses that are improving you? And that's just something to you know, think about from those two quotes, the absence of challenge degrades the best of the best. You know, Kobe Bryant was very famous for training harder at the end of his career than he did at the beginning. Even though he had cemented his hall of fame legacy, he still was, uh, he did not want the absence of challenge to degrade him. I mean, the same can be said for really any athlete who has left such a legacy. Taleb has this ongoing tirade against modernity. Um, He complains, and I would agree with him, that modernity has removed many natural stresses from our life, right? So you would not have survived fat, lazy, and naive in generations past. Vast social safety nets and the proliferation of affordable technologies have made us all more fragile across the board. Um, But that is sort of the consequence of modernity. And this is a, I'll do a very, very quick overview of it, but I did make an entire podcast about it. And it's the idea of um, antidepressants and antifragility. Right, so uh, masking symptoms is not treatment, and that is the purpose of an antidepressant. It is to mask symptoms. Right, the anti-fragile answer to this would be to embrace the symptom, 
and then try and prove from them. Now, I've just uh, said something which ha- which which can obviously be argued against, um, and there are many great arguments against it. So, but I don't want it to. Uh, to knock this podcast off on a tangent. So go back and listen to that entire episode. I think I dedicated like 30 minutes to it. Um, so you can, you know, see it there. And Taleb brings a bit of stoicism into it, actually. Uh, he writes that success can make you fragile. As a rich man, you now have much more to lose than you did before. You are afraid of becoming poor. The Stoics recognize this and would practice poverty as a means to reduce their fragility at losing their wealth. So Seneca, at one point Rome's richest man, is a case example of this. He was a master of his wealth and not a slave, willing at any point to give it all up should the downside of his wealth exceed the upside. Seneca was anti-fragile. The solution to many of life's problems is in removing things, rarely adding. So that's via negativa. But think about it through the lens of anti-fragility. It's removing a barrier to the disorder. It's removing a comfort that then will embrace the disorder and therefore improving upon it. I think it's quite an instinctual thing that we almost crave. Um, it kind of explains the minimalist, minimalist movement a little bit. I think that's something that they uh, either explicitly say about it or not. I actually have not, I don't know anything about the minimalist movement except for the fact that they want to not own many things. I mean, that itself is the practice of via negativa and I think an instinctual drive towards more the idea of us becoming more anti-fragile because just look at our, look at our bodies. It's written into our DNA, this idea that stress improves us. If you sit, if you lie in a bed for six months in a row, you would think that you would then come out of that bed on the sixth month and first day uh, strong and fit and ready to go. But that's not the truth, is it? Our body decays when we stop using it. And what is using our body? Me walking around, it stresses the entire fucking body, the back, the knees, the feet. But it's good for me to walk. It's good for me to go to a gym and micro tear my muscles, right? It's good for me to stretch out my body. It's good for me to use my mind. It's good for me to talk. It's good for me to digest food. Basically, it run, our bodies instinctually are vessels of anti-fragility. And therefore, it goes against our instincts, I think, if we do not live a life that also tries to be one of anti-fragility. So add to your life and make yourself more anti-fragile by removing practices, habits, or inputs that make you fragile. And this is a paraphrase of Steve Jobs. Eliminating obvious downsides like bad habits and debt will provide a good life. Eliminating good things so you can focus on the very best will lead to a truly flourishing life. Anti-fragility is a framework for life. And as much as Nassim Taleb will despise this inference, anti-fragility should, be, should well be stacked on the self-help shelves of bookstores rather than the business and finance. Life is extremely random and can strip you bare at any moment. We understand the outcome of randomness. Wind extinguishes a candle, but it energizes a fire. So make yourself anti-fragile. True wealth is the subtraction of the iatrogenic, a worry-free sleep, a clear conscience, the absence of envy, a good appetite, muscle strength, physical energy, laughing often, no meeting rooms, and periodical surprises. And finally, the best way to verify that you're alive is by checking you like variations. Remember that food would not have a taste if it were not for hunger. Results are meaningless without effort, no joy without sadness or conviction without certainty, and an ethical life 
isn't so when stripped of personal risks. This is anti-fragility. It's a, an energizing concept. Really hope you guys liked it. And don't forget what I said about us having shared interests. I think we have shared interests. If you're into this, then you're likely into a lot of the other stuff. So don't be a stranger. Go to the Curious Worldview podcast. Check out some of the fun interviews that are going on there. I just had on Jack Weatherford, who is the, the biographer of Genghis Khan and for sure the main influence on Dan Carlin's Wrath of the Khan series. Um, and also the website, atlasgeographica.com. You'll find in the podcast notes. Cheers. You're all legends. See you later.